Welcome to the MedTech Talent Lab, the number one catalyst for advancing careers and building high-performance teams. Sponsored by the Anthony Michael Group, helping companies secure in-demand talent in regulatory affairs, quality, clinical, engineering, R&D, and other areas for medical device, digital health, diagnostics, and other organizations across the U.S. life sciences sector. Here's your host, Mitch Robbins. All right, welcome back to another episode here on the MedTech Talent Lab. I am your host, Mitch Robbins, and I'm the founder and managing director of an organization called the Anthony Michael Group. We help companies across the, the MedTech space that includes medical device, digital health, and diagnostics organizations uh, to build high-performing teams primarily on the technical side of the business. So that's areas like regulatory affairs, engineering, quality, et cetera. And we're here blessed, actually, to run this show where we get to interview leaders straight from the industry on all things talent related. Simultaneous to this recorded version of the podcast, myself and a co-host, uh, Adam Soppy, run a live version each and every Wednesday on LinkedIn at 11 o'clock Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern, where we take on uh, topics ourselves all related to talent. Today's guest, I I'm so excited he's here because I've known this guy for probably a little over three years at this point, as it is. Just an all-around, good-hearted, uh, great guy. And I'm excited for you to hear his story today. We're talking with Mr. Manny Hernandez. Manny has led a, a storied career uh, across the last 20-plus years, uh, working for a variety of different companies, uh, the like Procter & Gamble, a company called Full Sail, uh, the Diabetes, is it Hans? Hans Foundation earlier on in his career. And then he's helped build culture and teams at great companies like Lavango, which is now known at, to the market as Teladoc and a company in the diabetes space called a tide pool. He's got his master's degree in electrical engineering. And one thing that's super neat is he's very passionate about the diabetes community. He regularly serves as an advocate, a public speaker, and a consultant to the space. I'm interested to, for you to hear his story specifically about what happened over the last year or so. In 2021, Manny made the decision to take a sabbatical from the workplace until just recently. We're going to hear that he just recently got the wheels turning again within the workforce, joining a company called Thrivable as the vice president of community and partnerships. Uh, Thriverable is a, a real-time market research platform. The company helps patients and solution makers work together to create the next generation of products and services. So without further ado, Manny, thanks so much for being here, man. Thanks so much for having me, Mitch. It's a pleasure. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I had reached out to you about a year ago or so because I really wanted you on the show for other reasons, not necessarily understanding what you were going through personally. And then fast forward, I see this post come out uh, that you were taking a leave of absence, which turned into a full-blown sabbatical for what was it, Amani, about a year, a year and a month or so? Just over a year. I uh, started March of uh, 2021 and just uh, rejoined the workforce, as you mentioned. Well, I'm excited to uh, to have you tell your story. Before we get into that, would you do me a favor? I feel like I didn't necessarily do Thrivable justice. What exactly is the organization uh, up to? Actually, I think you did a phenomenal job. Uh, but essentially, what Thrivable allows is for this interaction, pretty much real-time uh, fashion between solution, product, drug developers. You know, at the present time, we're focused on the healthcare side of things that within healthcare, we started at diabetes and expanding gradually into heart, mental health, uh, chronic kidney disease, pain management, and other conditions. And 
you know, make it very easy for, say, a company in any one of those spaces to be able to listen to the voice of the customer to help them determine whether their approach, their campaign, their product, their feature is a good fit or what version of the product or service would a prospective customer rather use this one or that one. So it sounds simple, but it turns out that you know, it has not been something that has been uh, doable in a simple, streamlined, nearly real-time manner until now, thrivable. And the company has uh, grown tremendously since it started. And part of my role right now, heading community and partnerships, the idea is to expand the panel base, currently at 50,000 or so, give or take, both within diabetes and within other conditions. And to do so through partnerships in, in the space uh, with publishers, with nonprofits, with other you know players in, in the space. And then not just the process of getting panelists to participate, but how do we really engage them? How do we really, you know, get this community of patients that we have to how to get them to become a part of something bigger, right? I am personally fascinated by what's going on and the potential to accomplish this at Thrivable as a patient advocate, as you described, like my note is my, my pancreas is not awesome t-shirt, you know, so I, I have type one diabetes, uh, hence the reference. And I, I have long been an advocate for bringing the voice of the patient everywhere that it's currently missing. It used to be, might sound surprising, but uh, that with diabetes in particular, there was a largely absent patient voice when a new drug or a new device was being considered by the FDA. That changed. You know, many advocates participated in that. And now there's not a single new product that uh, needs uh, patient input that goes without it. But, you know, the patient voice like needs to be there way upstream. And that's a big part of what, what uh, Thrivable is seeking to accomplish, right? Right at the start, as, a, as there's a product or a drug idea, so is this a good idea? Would you use this? Like, how would you use this? Like, and get that input very early on to make sure that the efforts are guided in the right direction. Yeah. So I'm very, very excited. And, and uh, also to be able to work with my longtime friend, David Edelman, the founder of uh, Thrivable is like such a treat. You know, we've known each other uh, for well over 10 years now. It's a great, great friend, you know, a very kind-hearted human servant leader that really wants to make a difference uh, before and now through Thrivable as well. I tell you what, it sounds like an amazing mission, not only for the organization, but definitely right up your alley as far as what you're passionate about. And uh, yeah. I'm super happy to hear that for you. That's awesome. Let's get to the meat of the conversation. And that is, here's a guy who's got 20, 30 years in the industry and says, you know what, I'm going to take a break. And I guess first and foremost, how did you just, how did you decide to do this? Where you get to step away and actually take a true sabbatical? Well, 2020, I don't need to, you know, uh, this is probably going to go without saying 2020 was a very difficult year for everyone in the world. Uh, it was a year of the pandemic. So that made it hard to begin with. The also in the United States, we had the presidential campaign which was like raging and like really well underway. I have also been very active in terms of uh, participating, you know, volunteering, you know, uh, for political campaigns. And I did so again uh, that year, but it was a very intense campaign, as you might remember. So there, those two things were, were happening uh, and those were like fairly external 
to a degree, right? Now, as a consequence, the pandemic, we also faced some important challenges back at uh, Tidepool, where I was when we first met, when we partnered and you were helping us out to try and secure a great talent for some positions we had open. We were, we found ourselves challenged precisely as a consequence of some of the of the pandemic, you know, some important funders that were working with us, you know, started allocating, you know, more of their support towards pandemic related costs. Perfectly reasonable, perfectly understandable. But uh, before getting to a point where we would be faced with the need to like take more drastic decisions, we nevertheless had moved forward and uh, conduct layoff, reduce our workforce by nearly 40%. And uh, layoffs are, are never easy. They're, they're very tough. You know, as I, as I say, like if you have a, an employee that's not doing their job uh, or an employee that has done something like terrible, you know, against the organization, you know, it's very different than having to let go someone who is like perfectly capable, contributing, doing their best. And in the case of a nonprofit, there's, there's a bit of a family, you know, element too. Mm-hmm. So they were very hard. Uh, I, at that time, at Typo, I was heading the people function. So, um, I was responsible for obviously recruiting, but as well as like organizing and like architecting basically along with Howard, our, our CEO and the leadership team, you know, the, the steps we would follow to conduct the layoffs. And um, actually, you know, since uh, your listeners, probably some are uh, in the HR people, you know, space, like this might come in handy because it's a mistake I made, right? I made myself, uh, I saw myself as having to be a resource to the managers that were going to have this, these difficult conversations with the team members, right? We, you know, because of COVID, those conversations had to happen in a virtual setting, very, very challenging. Also, so on top of that, regardless of COVID, like those are difficult conversations to have. And, and I saw myself as like, I need to be strong. I need to be there for everyone. And I forgot to be there for me. And uh, I mean, we we did work that I'm very proud of in spite of like, obviously nothing changes the fact that uh, there were these separations, there were these folks we had to let go, but we we did so, I think it, in, in a very, you know, human and kind way first, uh, you know, looking to always default to benefit the employee, you know, like if round things up and everything you can think of in terms of that. And to me, most one of the things that I was most proud of was we made a point of like really supporting. Uh, that was a big part of what I did the following couple of months, like really supporting the team in securing new positions as soon as possible. Mm. Uh, so as of today, you know, like, you know, within a matter of months, like everybody was placed, which was uh, something that I was. And, and I mean, obviously, that's a testament to the talent that, that we had in the organization, of course. Right. You know. The companies that we were partnering with were like, you know, really bombarding them with interview invitations. So like, it was great to see that. Uh, and then also there was like the process of working with the rest of the team, and survivors, right? There's this thing called Survivor's Guild that uh, I think we, we have a visitor. You know, we have a visitor in, in, the, in the era of working from home. Yes. I love those shades. They look amazing. <laughs> 
Uh, that's for a different day. That's for a different day. For those who can't see the video on this back uh, recording, my kids happen to have come in twice asking uh, for their usual request this afternoon. But that's, uh, that, you know, working from home right there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, that is a testament to the caliber of talent that you had on the team to be, uh, yeah. you know, and a testament to, I guess, your loyalty and kind of where your heart was trying to help them. But you mentioned, hey, look, in the process with all this going on, I forgot to take care of myself. Talk more about that, would you? Yeah, I, again, perhaps one of the most difficult processes that someone in the people in the HR function can find themselves in is precisely these kinds of uh, situations, layoffs, right? Again, I mean, there's, uh, you know, capable, professional, committed folks that unfortunately for business reasons, you know, budget very constraints and not have to be let go. So it's very hard. You have to be fair, you have to be equitable, you have to be transparent, which we were. And I mean like in the whole process you start building up, accumulating, you know, a whole bunch of emotion, right? But you know, it's you're bottling it, bottling it, bottling it. And uh it took me weeks to realize that I wasn't channeling that adequately. Maybe, you know, more, more exercise or meditation or something would have been appropriate. But uh, the reality is like by, by mid-December, I was like burnout, burned out completely. Uh, I, I was really struggling with uh, how I, I was feeling, you know, and, uh, and also on top of all that, you know, bring come the holidays. And uh, I was also facing some challenges on, on the home front. So by the end of 2020, I'm, I'm like done. Like, you know, start of 2021, I talked to Howard, uh, our CEO, who's like, again, like a very, very, you know, an incredible human being, you know, someone who has accomplished uh, so much. And after a very successful tech career, and, you know, all the great companies that a lot of the great companies that made Silicon became Silicon Valley giants. He decided he wanted to create what became Tide Pool eventually. Uh, I told him, I, I need to take a break. I need to go away, be by myself, and not work. That how long, how much you need, uh, how, how long do you need? That like, I don't know, I think maybe four, five, six weeks. Like, I, I don't really know. And he it didn't hesitate. He said, take the time you need. And uh, I was fortunate uh, to have uh, gotten a place to stay. Uh, my then wife's uh, sister uh, let me stay in a beautiful uh, cottage uh, up in Bellingham, Washington. And so we used to live at the time in um, Stockton, California, which is just to, for reference, for like hour and a half east of San Francisco and an hour south of Sacramento. So it's in what's called the Central Valley. So uh, I grabbed the car, drove uh, 16 hours up, you know, a couple of stops along the way through Oregon and then uh, Washington State and I'm there. And uh, I think of that time, I sometimes refer to it as my Luke Skywalker meets Darth Vader in the cave meets Superman goes into this fortress uh, of solitude. Kind of thing. So it was like I withdrew myself from nearly everything. You know, I certainly was by myself. I brought a lot of materials to read. I had an internet connection, but like I spent a lot of my time there reading and writing. And uh, I would go into literally into town. I mean, like it was kind of like outside town to to do some grocery shopping. There were some snow flurries. Like I had to. I you know I have only lived in, in places where it snow a couple times in my life. 
So shoveling snow is not a thing that I do normally, but I have to do it there and it was great. And one of the the things that became clear to me, uh, as you alluded to during that leave of absence was like, uh, I need to, I need to just stop. Let's just stop. I mean, I've been going on nonstop from one job to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, with minimal time in between. I think my record was like three weeks, I believe, which was the time between Lavongo and Taipo. And, uh, but always like kind of like hitting the ground running. It's 1999. No, since 1996. So, you know, I, and I, I mean, some, somebody told me, it's like, but have you never taken vacations? Like, I have, of course. Like, but, but you know how they say I have to take a vacation from the vacation? It's like you come back and you're all stressed out about all this stuff you have going on. Or like you have, like, you wake up and it's like, okay, everybody get ready. We're going to go to the park. And it's like, it's, it's all, it's kind of like it's vacation. It's, it's almost like doing something different than work, but it's not like downtime, really. Yeah. Uh, well, this this was downtime, and this was like just looking inside. And one thing I discovered, which had a very therapeutical effect at first, I picked up writing. Uh, I used to write a long, long time ago, back when I was in high school and college, and, and I stopped doing it. When I say writing, I mean more in the literary, literary sense, you know, poetry and short stories as opposed to blog posts, right? More business writing, which I have continued to do. And, and at first it was like therapeutic. It was like, I like this. This is helpful. And uh, I worked with a friend who's an editor back in Venezuela, my, my home country where I was born. And we met every week and he would give me homework, both things to read, and I would write and send it to him. And like, it began turning into his exercise that hopefully will translate in the next few weeks or months. We'll see. We're in the, that process in uh, in, uh, in a book of poems that gets uh, awesome. Yeah. Um, so that was part of the evolution. So while I was there, I realized I have to stop. The minute I came to realize that, I, I reached out to Howard and said, uh, "I'm not going anywhere. I'm not leaving title." Uh, go work someplace says I just have to stop. Let me ask you a wow. question about that. How, when you mentioned that by the end of 2020, you were burnt out and you knew it. How did you know that? Because I think so many people are burnt out and they don't necessarily realize that it's true burnout. What What were your, how did you know? Some elements were just very clear depression. Uh, I was very, very much down. I was, uh, was pretty upset about like so much, you know, the world the, around us, the, the, you know, situations uh both in my hands and outside my my control i not getting good sleep not even during the holidays and i lacked a fundamental motivation to work i mean the work hadn't stopped things that were calling on me to continue to you know push along it's like that hadn't stopped but i was fundamentally lacking the motivation to keep pushing and uh and that was very unlike been a, always a very driven person, you know, uh, in fact, one of the things that I probably would say I identified during the, the time I was uh, sabbatical was like, I have been, uh, I've had a, perhaps an addiction to work. I've been a workaholic, you know, for, for as far as I can recall. And uh, I, yeah, so I, I feel all those elements together. Maybe I didn't see it at the time as like, something I would put a label on and say, oh, this is what being burned out is. But now in retrospective, absolutely. You know, so mm-hmm. so there are like these pointers of like, you know, you're just not 
like if you were like having certain physical symptoms and then you go to the doctor, right? Because something's up, you know, in your body. So these were like more like emotional indicators. Uh, and I also like uh, found myself uh, wanting to, you know, I, I had worked with a therapist for a few years uh, following my mother's passing back in 2018. And I increased, I dialed up the sessions. Like I, I want to, I want to uh, be able to talk to you. That that was really my main, you know, communication. That and the the friend who I was partnering uh, around writing, and you know, it allowed me to kind of land in a place of like, yes, this is what I need to do next. Mm. So let me recap what you've said so far. So the end of 2020, you're like, you know what? I I got to take a break. You tell the CEO, I got to take a break. You go to Bellingham, Washington, kind of hide away in this cottage dialed up your therapy sessions, you're figuring out that, hey, this literature thing is, is kind of therapeutic for yourself. You're working with your friend and writing these short stories or writing these poems. Then you decide, you know what, these four, five, six weeks, it's not what I thought I need. I really need to just take a break from work. What else? I mean, you had to have learned so many things. I, one thing I didn't say that I really need to say is you read 80 books in 2021? 80. Yes. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and 80 I'm, books. Yeah, and I, I, I have read over 50 already this year. <laughs> this year? Yeah. That's that's 10. A, what is that? 10 a month? I became like just the, I was devouring books. Like I was reading all the time. Like it was I cannot explain it. It became just like this visceral need, like feeling like I have so many books to catch up on. Because I, I would more traditionally for many years read more business books. And uh, there was a time when I had a, a decent side, you know, commute. I would listen to audiobooks uh, along yep. with podcasts, but I hadn't like sat down and read like a good novel, a good classic, you know, in a very long time, maybe 30 years. And I mean, once I started, I couldn't stop. And like, it kind of like not right now, I'm going through 100 Years of Solitude by Garcia Marquez, which if you believe it, I hadn't read till this point in my life. And, and I'm, you know, it's like, it's just perfect. It's, it's like, you know, you carve out this space where you suspend this belief, you suspend whatever's going on, and uh, it's just beautiful. So that and writing are two things that to me right now are essential to protect and maintain. And like, I'm working on that, right? So that's part of the return mm -hmm. process. Yeah. What are some lessons you learned while you were gone? Well, uh, I think uh, it is essential for you to take care of yourself, right? So uh, I think, you know, for me, for example, it was like, you know, working with my therapist, right? And, you know, working through some of the things I was feeling inside, right? That was extremely helpful. I find that also having some structure, but not too much structure helped. Uh, what do I mean by that? So kind of like managing by objectives, like, so I wouldn't necessarily be aiming for like X number of words that I need to have written by the end of the day, but I need to have written every single day you know i want to make sure that that you know i open that faucet and, and like it's blowing let it pour and sometimes a lot would pour out sometimes very little would pour out but like there there was a, a commitment to that so maybe for someone else it's like you know i used to spend more time you know learning the guitar maybe it is like learn a new chord every day or learn a new song every day like what whatever that may be i would say also i learned the value of naps and this uh some people i i wrote a blog post about this and when i put it up on linkedin it, it was funny it's like a lot of people 
really the the nap you know concept resonated with them i just find that it they're energizing you know they're valuable to like help you pick up a second win for the second half of the day whatnot so i've i am attempting to keep that habit you know and being you know power naps but like not lose sight of that because there's uh there's value in them and there's science already that uh has shown that to be the case so it was a very very uh very refreshing and then last i would say you know plan your return right like so try to have control of your return plan like and uh i'm almost feeling like this is like like a certain like a rocket going to space and kind of eventually you know maybe it's a shuttle is a better you know, uh, analogy, like kind of re-entering, you know, the atmosphere, you're going to just do so like, you know, haphazardly, you have to be, you know, methodical about it, because uh, especially with regards to job search, as as we all know, it doesn't happen overnight, right? Like, you know, it, you might have a certain idea of what you want, and maybe that will materialize, you know, due time. But like, if you are, if you're work operating, uh, which we all are, on a limited budget, right? To to take this time off, you're gonna want to make sure that you project back from where that you know end point is planned, and and make sure that you begin your efforts to reach out and explore opportunities ahead of time instead of leaving them for like the moment when oh my god I'm gonna run out of money or something. My brain is flooded with questions on this because a couple of things. So it's one thing I want to talk about the reentry. I think that's a great analogy. It's one thing to say, oh, man, you know what? Financially, I got to get back to work. It's another thing to say mentally, I feel like I'm ready to go. Because if you're not mentally ready to go, you're going to end up in the same spot, right? Did it come to a point where you felt mentally like, okay, like I'm feeling like I'm getting back on my feet and I'm ready to go? Everything yeah. else aside as to what, you know, reasons other than that, why you would come back. But was there a turning point where you felt mentally I'm, I'm ready to get back in this game? I would say I wouldn't necessarily like call it like I felt the itch to get back in the game, but more like there were friends, you know, acquaintances that reached out, you know, and said, hey, are you doing any consulting work? And I found myself early in the year, like saying, you know, taking a break. So thanks for reaching out, but uh, let's reconnect later on. I think actually, you know, it was not for consulting, but for this interview, but like right around that time, I, th- I believe you you reached out. Uh, yeah, I said like I'm kind of in the middle of this, but that changed towards latter part of 2021. I found myself saying yes to a few consulting opportunities, and uh, and it felt good. It, it just felt you know okay. Like I was like you know not just content, but like was finding uh, it's like I can do this again. I had planned a trip over the holidays that. You know, I returned from in uh, at the end of January, and at that point, I wrote a blog, blog uh, a post on LinkedIn saying, "Hey, I am beginning to look at opportunities, and uh, so if you know of any interesting project work or interesting opportunities at your organization, please reach out." And uh, that's kind of like that process. You know, that was like early, you know, late February, early March, and like I just joined Thrivable. So it was about yeah. a two month uh, period. And uh, yeah, and, and actually during that search, you know, also with the, uh, you know, maybe this is useful to your, your listeners, I kind of had two potential paths that I was considering. One where I would take on a limited two to three number of clients that I would embed myself with and, uh, and have kind of like a, like a small consulting uh, operation, right? And uh, I would try to 
get that set in the form of retainer work and uh, obviously so that I could take care of, uh, you know, healthcare and, and whatnot benefits, basically, you know, get those covered uh, on my own. And another one is like, I, there was a time, you know, during like this whole exploration in, in the sabbatical that I was thinking like, I don't know whether I want to ever go back into a job. I mean, there was a period where I felt like maybe this is not going to happen again. Maybe I'll become a writer. Or man. And in fact, I was even exploring the possibility of uh, going into like, you know, in a more entrepreneurial fashion, kind of going into the Hispanic publishing space, which I subsequently gave up on because I found some extraordinary things already underway. So I figured like, if I'm going to go into this space, like I might as well like, you know, work with one of these folks as opposed to building something. So uh, I lost track of where we were coming from, but... Um we were talking about how you knew mentally that you were ready to get yes. back in and that you said, hey, I started to take on some consulting engagements. It felt good. One thing led to another. Friends reached, you know, and basically the network started to happen for you is what I'm yes. gathering. So I want to ask you about the reentry. You know, hey, I'm back on earth. My feet are underneath me. I'm working full time. I want to get to that, what it's been like to make that adjustment. Because you just based at the time of this recording, you just started this week, right? Literally, yes. On, yeah. On Monday was so, my first day. So, so I want to talk about yeah. I want to talk about that. But before we do, you know, I guarantee you there's so many people gonna be listening to this thinking, wow, that's well and good and good for him. He, mentally he made the decision and he had the op- and was able to financially afford the opportunity to, to step away for as long as he did, but I can't do that. But I'm feeling burnt out like he is, and what he's saying resonates with exactly what I'm going through right now. What would you say to the people that desperately need to step away but they don't feel like they can financially? Yeah. When you kindly shared some of these questions ahead of time, like that question, uh, I was thinking about it quite a bit because it doesn't escape. It does not go unnoticed for me that what I have just had this past year and change was a privilege, was a total privilege that I will forever be grateful for. And uh, no small part, thanks to our ability to, to do well, you know, following the, my time at Lubongo. Right. So I fully realized that taking 12, 13, 14 months off is not a possibility for a lot of people, perhaps for most people. But uh, I have also thought that there are ways to go get around the, that constraint. And uh, so a couple of them that, that I feel could be worth considering are maybe a shorter period of time. A, maybe it's not 12 months. Maybe it's three months. Maybe it's six months. You know, part of the concept is about breaking with that continuity, right? You know, the going from one job to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next nonstop. To be doing that, you obviously need to have some kind of a cushion, right? So maybe it becomes that you are able to, you know, move back in with family. Maybe it becomes that you are able to, you know, move to a cheaper place for a period of time. In fact, in this past year, I've had the opportunity to spend five weeks in Caracas, Venezuela, which is not necessarily what I'm going to recommend because it has its whole set of its own challenges, but also recently I spent a couple of weeks in Colombia. And the reality is that you can live in a lot of places throughout Latin America, Mexico, Costa Rica, you, know, you name it, for a fraction of the cost of living here. Yep. And it tends to be very easy to get, if we're talking about Americans, it's very easy to get a visa, or sometimes you don't even need a visa to visit uh, you know, a lot of these countries. So literally, you know, there are 
Airbnbs, you know, in all of these, you know, large capitals throughout the hemisphere that you could very much for a fraction of what it w- would cost you here, like just to give you context, like a very nice Airbnb in Colombia for two weeks is 500 bucks. Very Crazy. nice. Like if, if you sacrifice on the very nice part, you could probably get for like, you know, a month for, you know, less than 500 bucks. So if you get creative with like location, I think you can make the money go a lot further. Now I'm not the the guy's name, the four hour work week, you know, Tim Ferriss, yeah. Ferris, right? But I really believe, you know, we're in a very global, you know, time. And uh, uh, although a lot of things are changing these days, but uh, there's with this ability to do work remotely, you know, and of course, that's not what, what we're talking about here. It's about sabbatical, but like a lot of the comforts that, that you might value, like being able to, you know, watch a movie or, you know, listen to your favorite music on Spotify, you can do from anywhere as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, those are at least a couple of thoughts, maybe shorter time span, relocate temporarily to a much cheaper place. And I think just like potentially some of the the lessons learned that that uh, that we talked about earlier and, and making sure that also the plan to return is timed adequately. Right. So so that yep. you don't find yourself in a, in a tough spot because uh, the time it takes you to reenter longer than you can afford. So the whole premise of this show uh, the podcast is talent, right? Building careers, building teams, all the trials and tribulations that come along with both. And I felt like this episode was so important because if you don't have your mental health, you don't really, or your health in general, you don't have anything. And I personally have been there more than once where it was almost scary to mentally, where I have always been a, a driver and a run through walls kind of person and have lost that. And when you feel like you're not yourself, it's really difficult to to function and to do what you want to do and need to do, right? Professionally, not only personally, but professionally. And so that's why I feel like it was so important for you to tell your story because I'm right there with you in the sense that it doesn't necessarily have to be the way you did it, 12, 13, 14 months, whatever it may be. But I do think that there needs to be some sort of break. And I think great managers recognize the importance of mental health and don't want to lose great talent and are willing to work with you to take the time that you need. It's a week, it's a month, it's three months, whatever it may be. And as Manny was just saying, there's plenty of ways to be creative and to to get the opportunity to take that time away. So thank you for being vulnerable and and sharing your personal story, because I know a lot of this stuff is personal, but I really feel like there's so many people out there who could benefit from hearing a guy who's been successful his whole life and kind of what you've gone through and and what you've done about it to kind of get back on your feet. Let's wrap this up, Manny, by talking about the last few days. What has been the biggest biggest surprise and the biggest challenges so far in the last three days of being full time, fully employed again? Yeah. Well, I obviously it goes without saying that when you, I mean, I, we talked about having structure, but not too much structure, right? That doesn't necessarily fly with day to day business, right? Yeah. Like you know, yeah. you have to have a certain amount of structure. So I think the sorry, guy, my nap is between eleven and twelve today. So <laughs> yeah, it's like sorry, this is not a good time for us to meet. Like I need to have my daily nap. Um, so so you have to adjust to that, right? I that that's one that's one thing. Another one is uh, you know. You know, perhaps in shorter sabbaticals, that wouldn't be as much of a challenge. But after a little over a year, even tools that I was like intimately familiar with, like Slack, you know, have evolved, right? Like yeah. now you have uh, huddles, which you didn't have, you know, a year ago. 
And on top of that, obviously, there's like all the different tools and the different processes that are required to conduct business wherever you're going back to that you need to familiarize yourself with it. Onboarding, right? So I'm in the middle of that onboarding process with a very strong desire to begin contributing, but trying to pace myself because I, I need to, you know, know how things get done and what are the tools to get them accomplished uh, before I you know, proceed. So I'm trying to make good progress, but trying to pace myself. One thing that I am, uh, I, I find a, is different really versus uh, the sabbatical state, let's call it, is like, I find myself maybe at night, maybe as I'm going to sleep, thinking about work things, right? It, so, mm. you know. Already. Yes. Right. So I know hopefully that that'll be a topic we can talk about in the future. But like, I know I need to work on that because I want to be able to definitely. And uh, I, I have not yet uh, structured quite the way in which I will allocate the time for writing. What I have done is like I continue to participate in a workshop that I was uh, involved in with other writers as a way to begin tonight is actually my first uh, session since I started working again, uh, where I'm going to you know, participate in that workshop. And that, that kind of creates a certain level of accountability, which, I, again, I want to keep. This, uh, I feel like that newly or rediscovered aspect of my life, I, I want to continue doing. So yeah, uh, I'll, I'll keep you posted, you know, but, but I'm very happy. I'm very happy with uh, the team has been amazing. I got back home. I had to had a doctor's appointment. I had to go to and coming back, there was a box waiting for me. It's like a, you know, something I hate to open it. Like, but it, it was like a welcome, you know, gift. So, and again, like, you know, I think if you're in a place where you believe in what's happening, where you respect, admire the leadership and, you know, you're doing something meaningful, like that's what you want. I mean, like, I think that's the ultimate uh, goal. Anyone, you know, find a place where you can contribute would want to have. Big time. Well, I'm proud of you. I appreciate you coming out uh, today and and sharing the story, wishing you and Thrivable nothing but the best, man, as you get on your feet and start uh, digging in. And uh, definitely look forward to uh, hearing how the next phase of your life is going for sure. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, man. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. Thanks for listening to the MedTech Talent Lab podcast. For more content-rich episodes, log on to theanthonymichaelgroup.com or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform.